Welcome to Let's Unpack That. I'm Liana. I'm Brianna. I'm Chuck. And we're your friends navigating this complicated, messy, painful, and beautiful experience of life with you through human story and connection, starting with our own. You're safe here and we see you. So, let's unpack that. Welcome back to Let's Unpack That. This week we are going to talk about surrogacy. So Chuck and Bree have recently begun a journey. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, so um, Brianna and I are going to be surrogates and it's a pretty unique situation because we are going to be surrogates for the same family. Um, at the same time. <laughs> okay, so not exactly the same time. Charles Chuck is like a month behind me. So basically, they're going to be nightmares to record podcasts with oh for the gosh, next yes. year. Yes. Uh-huh. Our We're going to take a nine-month hiatus. Yeah, our mood swings could happen on air, so beware. <laughs> we don't have a camera filming this, so I can't like blink three times if I'm being held hostage, but maybe I'll come up with a code word. It's entertainment, baby. <laughs> yeah, baby, They baby, make me baby. buy them Chick-fil-A all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're going to have to buy us Chick-fil-A. We'll like, I might ship Says Chuck that. off to you. Oh, wait, actually. you do buy us Chick-fil-A. I do. Yeah, you all, you're going to have to buy us more and more mm-hmm. Chick-fil-A. God yep. damn it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this podcast better start making money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Okay. So you both have children already. Mm-hmm. Yes. And remind me and tell the viewers the age of your youngest so I have two from a previous marriage, a six-year-old girl and a nine-year-old boy. Okay. Yeah. And then I have three. My youngest is five. My uh, middle is eight and my oldest is 10. Okay. That took so much concentration. You should have seen her face. I know. I forget <laughs> what I, I want to say other ages sometimes. Yeah. When you have five, why. that's what happens. Yeah. It gets hard to remember everyone's ages. So how did you end up, because since you do already have your own children, how did you end up in this space where you were considering surrogacy as an option, let alone embarking on this journey? So that actually is one of the requirements is you need to have a successful like pregnancy and delivery to become a surrogate. So what kind of got us started, um, actually it, it, starts a little bit more just for me. Um, I was interested in it even before we were together. Um, but it came from my little sister. My little sister has always wanted to be a surrogate and, um, it was just kind of like a big dream of hers. And so that's what put it on the radar for me. And I was like, yeah, that's a pretty cool gift, you know, to give to someone. And, um, things happened where she, uh, ended up having to get a partial hysterectomy and that dream kind of like fell away and it was super hard for her. Uh, so I was like, well, what if I became a surrogate? Um, and it's kind of like a surrogate for a surrogate Mm. (laughs) because you've always wanted to do it. You, you want that gift to go to someone, you know, what if I did that? Almost Um, like she'd be living vicariously through you. 
Yeah. And I think in some ways it was like still hard because it was like her dream, but she kind of liked that idea. Um, so I was married at the time to my ex, my kid's dad, and I talked to him about it and I actually started going through the whole process. Like I filled out the application and, uh, was getting medical records and he kind of voiced the, I don't know if, you know, this is something I want you to do. There's a lot of risks and, uh, I just, I just don't feel good about it right now. So we kind of just, you know, put the brakes on it and I just thought, well, that's probably just never going to happen. And then Brianna and I got together and originally she wanted, she had like prefaced it like that's maybe, have you ever thought about doing that? She thought her age was going to be a factor and that she was too old to, you know, even consider being a surrogate. And so then I, I had never really thought about it before but I loved being pregnant and I had very easy pregnancies despite having like a traumatic like birth experience with my first. My pregnancies were very easy. And so I started doing a little research and I was like, wow, like, yeah. And it is something I would be interested in. And I think for me, what kind of drove it home, like the idea of being a surrogate was like my own feelings that I have on motherhood Mm -hmm. and I mean, it is like my my biggest honor and knowing that I can give someone else that that wouldn't have it if I wasn't like willing to do something, you know, selfless, as selfless as having a baby for someone else like that made me super emotional. <laughs> so that was kind of my driving factor and like why I wanted to be a surrogate. So then how did you two come to the decision to do it? At the same time. I think that was me, too. Mm-hmm. I said, um, I've. that's like the one part of you that I haven't seen. Like, I see you being a mom, and I kind of feel like I missed out on that. Like, getting to be pregnant with someone that I actually, like, truly loved. To me, that is such a bonding experience. So I think that added element, like, reinforced, like, yeah, this is a good choice. Yeah, it was a cool idea to be able to see each other that way, but we have five kids, and so for us to want to bring another baby into our family just is too much and too overwhelming, but the idea of, wow, we could really help another family and still see a little taste of what that would have been like. I mean, I've seen a taste of her on the medicine, like we have to take hormones, and now I may be regretting it a little bit. (laughs) Wait, I want to hear. Paint the picture for me. So we both have been a little bit, it's kind of an emotional roller coaster, right? Like Mm -hmm. anytime you're, you're messing with your hormones, it's gonna, it's gonna change your, your attitude, your mood. Sure. Personality a little bit. Yeah. I mean, maybe we should kind of tell a little bit of how that process happens and why we have to take medications. Cause I don't think I understood that fully. I mean, I knew that there was a process and I knew that there was like an implantation. It's not, you know, my egg, it's not things like that, but I didn't know how much goes into it and how precise it has to be because Mm -hmm. my gosh, it really is a science. Like you have to have all of the stars aligned in order to even get to that implantation day. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I think more than like even 
backtracking even more, just the application process was really long. Uh, like our medical records, we had to submit past pregnancies and deliveries and medical records. They analyzed them. Then we did like an exam um, where they did like a water ultrasound. A very thorough medical exam. Yeah, <laughs> just to make sure that like, okay, everything looks good, blood tests, like all this stuff. And then, and then, um, then they did a psych evaluation on us, uh, just to make sure we're not crazy. Which it just barely we slid passed. through. We, we yeah. slid, slid right through. They're like holding yeah. up Rorschach test. Uh-huh. Like, what does this look like? And you're like a vagina. Yeah. What does this look yeah. like? Also a vagina. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yep. Yep. They're definitely gay. Yeah. They're all right. <laughs> yeah. That was so funny. Oh, but yeah, it was it was a lot. And then after that is the legal side of everything, which takes a really long time. So initially, we thought we would be starting like getting pregnant in December and that's not the case no not at all (laughs) but even going over like the contracts like the legal contracts that even like you you don't want to just like sign like sign your name away to anything so we had to we took days upon days just to go through that well yeah it was like 50 plus pages of things to go over and doing all of this simultaneously to raising a family working like it Definitely a was a lot more than we had initially anticipated. Yeah. So once we got all that done, oh, well, and we we kind of forgot you have to get matched. Bef- well, we got matched before we even finished our applications, Yeah, really, which, which is rare. They don't do that. Yeah. I think from what we've heard other people say, it usually happens after all the like medical, psych, all that stuff. We actually got matched before. And if I remember right, it's like the surrogates get to kind of choose the parents, the intended parents is what I've read. I'm not sure because that's not what we experienced. But yeah, we hadn't even finished our applications and we got a call from um, like the head. What What would it be her position? Do you know? I don't know. She just worked for the surrogacy yeah. agency. So the boss lady called us <laughs> and she said, uh, hurry and put your applications in if you can. We found like a perfect match for you. You guys will love them. So then we submitted our applications and had like a, a brief phone interview like with the parents. It wasn't even like FaceTime or over like Zoom. It was just a phone, te- like a telephone conversation. And we loved them. Yeah. So what's the criteria for how they match you? So when we when we talked to her, she kind of asked us what we were looking for. And one of our things was obviously we need someone who is queer friendly uh, because it just is, I mean, it's just too complicated if they're not. Um, and they probably wouldn't pick us anyways. But this is a long journey. You want it to be like someone, like a couple that you're comfortable with and that you don't feel like that tension, you know? Yeah. And maybe not even queer friendly, like accepting, mm-hmm. like, like not wanting. just tolerating. Like lesbians only. <laughs> yeah, that's what Brianna's <laughs> requirement was. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And I, I mean, that was pretty much all they asked us. I don't know on... The other side of things like what the criteria is for them but from what she told us she just talked to them and kind of told us what we were looking for and 
tried to see if it kind of matched up. And I think initially they wanted twins, right? And so then when they saw that the both of us wanted to carry, I mean, there's always like more risk when you're putting like carrying multiples. So the idea of like being able to put one in Charles C and one in me, obviously more ideal, especially because they only have two embryos left like well, I actually don't think they were looking to have twins they weren't um we'll have to ask them okay. but I think they were planning on doing one at a time initially but when they heard about us they you know that was the case they weren't wanting to put two embryos okay, maybe in that's one where person I'm kind of because there's too much risk so they were wanting to do it separate but they just, I think, were initially thinking maybe they'd use the same surrogate or um, just space it out. But when they heard about us, they thought, wow, that actually could be really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in the same house. It'd be dealing with the same people, not two different people with different personalities. I mean, we have different personalities, but <laughs> different li- life situations. Um I don't and know. instead of dragging it out and having this be like an 18 month process, like let's just, we can do it all at the same time. Yeah. Hmm. So. so once you're matched, you get to, you meet with, you said on the phone, the, the couple that you're caring for, mm-hmm. how close of a relationship do you have with them throughout the process? So I don't think our situation is typical. It's very unique. <laughs> um, I think a lot of times it's a little more separated. I think some have like decent relationships, but a lot of times they're in different states, maybe even in different countries. I think it's very common too to have it more business-like, like transactional. And I think that's like very normal too in the surrogacy world. Yeah. And in our case, um, the intended parents live in Utah Um, we were able to meet up with them, um, after I think we did that phone interview and then we did a FaceTime one just to kind of make sure. And then we met up with them and we just hit it off. I mean, honestly, they are some of the best people ever and just people that are fun to hang out with too. It feels like like we've known them for a long time. Yeah, we feel like we've known them for a long time and they're friends and they're people outside of the surrogacy that we would be friends with yeah, anyways. We yeah. would want to be friends with. So it was, I think ours is a little unique. I think we, we've gotten pretty close to them. Um, I, I'm sure there's other stories that have that closeness, but um, ours feels really unique. I mean, we, talk we meet up a lot actually and we I mean we'll talk about everything with them really like our we just, kids play it's like had... talking to a friend you know we're not worried that oh they're gonna think we're crazy if we talk about this topic mm-hmm. they have become friends to us that's awesome um so emotionally like motherhood and carrying a child the term is a big deal. I've, n- I've personally never had children, but I understand the concept to a degree, having never gone through it. What kind of like emotional preparation goes into surrogacy where you're carrying a baby and there is that bonding element of having that child inside of you? Does, and how do you prepare for like then turning them over to, I guess, other 
parents? I think just knowing, like going into it, knowing like this is not my baby. I'm doing this for, you know, someone else. And there's like a bigger reason behind this. It's not like, oh, the baby's being taken from me. It's I'm giving the baby that was never meant to be mine to their parents. And Brianna and I did talk about it before we decided to do this. Like, you know, will how will you handle this? How will I handle it? Um, we also, when we talked to the psychiatrist, or was it a psychologist or... I can't um, remember. They said psych evaluation. Yeah. So it in could be psych, either one. Yeah, I'm not sure. In our <laughs> psych evaluation, she brought that stuff up. Um, and she said that it is common to avoid certain things in order to not form that attachment as much, um, like skin to skin or other things like that that might bring all of that flood of emotion during that time that you're feeling even more well, all your hormones are being released too that are meant to be there to have you connect with your baby usually mm-hmm. you know and so trying to avoid some of that obviously would make sense yeah and we've we've kind of talked with the intended parents about how to navigate that because um we want to um, give that moment to them because it is their baby Um, But they also want us to be able to, like, experience the joy of, like, man, this nine months, look what we did. You you and me, little baby, we did it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, I don't know, it's been really cool talking to them about, like, how to handle it. And I think we can talk about it all we want, but we really won't fully know how we're going to handle it until that moment. I think the good thing and like the unique part of our situation is our intended parents want us to continue to be in the baby's lives. Like the fun aunts, like the fun aunts I always knew I could be. Yeah. Yeah. So that will, I think that will help Mm -hmm. not just being all of a sudden completely separated from mm -hmm, this little person that we help bring into this world we'll know that we do still have a little bond and a link to this individual. And I think that would be harder for me too, like knowing, like going into it, knowing like, okay, after I give birth, it's going to be kind of like an unknown situation. Like you don't know what happens after that. And it is comforting to know that like, you know, that doesn't have to be our, our only option. So Next steps. What happens next on the surrogacy journey? So after getting matched, after going through all the medical, psych, legal, everything, then we actually start the the real process. And I think initially I thought once we got through all that, it'd be like a cakewalk. And that's when the real fun began. (laughs) Yeah. There, we didn't realize how much goes into it and how many times there could be setbacks. Uh, so what they did was they um, made a plan, basically, like a, like a schedule, a schedule uh, based off of like our cycles, putting us on birth control. Um, initially, they put us both on birth control, but then 
took us off. They have to manipulate your cycle so that um, you're ready for implantation. Hmm. So that they can dictate that, like, They want to have full control over your cycle. Interesting. Which we were surprised by because you would think birth control. Like, why would you put us on birth control? Yeah, right. don't you want us to be fertile? Yeah. <laughs> so they they did that. Um, and then... Which made me a crazy person, by the way. <laughs> birth control <laughs> is my enemy. I've never been on birth control before. Mm. I did not react well. I felt very, like... Almost kind of like depressed, but yeah. very angry and short fused. And yeah, I just don't feel like that's a good fit for me. Sure. Thankfully, I'm off of it. She wasn't that bad. I felt um, it though. I've, I've never been control. on it either, but I didn't notice a huge difference. I think I'm just grumpy, anyways. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's your baseline. Yeah. Um, but yeah, You're so like, they, can you add more water to the ocean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Will anyone true. even notice? <laughs> um, so after the birth control, they did, um, a baseline ultrasound just to see, I mean, exactly that where everything's starting out. So this is like right after your period where everything's supposed to be like gone and they measure that, make sure everything looks good. They check your ovaries to make sure that there aren't any cysts or anything. And that's when we had our first hiccup. So for mine, actually, Brianna was supposed to go. No. Oh, I forgot. Okay. That's not our first setback. I had a setback because they didn't put me on birth control fast enough or when they needed to. So it set my date back. And then Brianna became first. So initially, it was going to be me first, then Brianna. Then I had the birth control set back. So then my date was going to be about eight days, I think, after Brianna. So hers was supposed to be February 2nd. Mine was supposed to change to February 10th. Initially, mine was the end of January. Uh, So then we had her baseline and found out that she had cysts on her ovaries. On one ovary. On one ovary, Which is very common, um, the doctor said. She said that if you ovulate, or every time you ovulate, cysts kind of help like the egg burst or release. I'm I'm not a doctor, but she said it's very common, but usually they'll like dissipate or dissolve. And for some reason, mine hadn't. And she said the only um, issue would be is if the cyst was hormone producing, but that it was really rare for that to happen. So they did a blood test and said that they would call um, that day with the results, but kind of made it seem like I shouldn't worry. And then they called me later on that night and said that, unfortunately, it was hormone producing so that they'd have to push my date back because you don't want to start taking estrogen pills if you have estrogen in your body already, mm. they said it could make like your cysts like burst or make it super painful. And then it's just not a good idea. Gotcha. So. Yeah. So the plan was after that baseline ultrasound, she was going to get started on the estrogen pills, which some people do injections, but ours were pills. Lucky. And yeah, we didn't, I mean, so... With the estrogen, there also was like a baby aspirin that we were going to have to take with our prenatal. And I was like, okay, this is... It's a lot. Yeah, a lot. And then 
Um, and then once we made it to the next phase, like the week before implantation, uh-huh, I think five days before implantation, they start you on progesterone and then they also give you a Z pack. The so progesterone that- is a huge shot, by the way, that goes into your bum and I haven't had to do it yet, but it literally like, it looks like a mechanical pencil lead. Like that's what the needle looks like. Yeah. And I am terrified of When needles. we got our box of medication and needles, both of us were like, where's ah! the horse that we're supposed to stick this in? Because you're not putting this in me. There's no yeah. way. Yeah. Brianna was worried she didn't have enough real estate back there to handle it. Yeah. So I had plenty. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah. I've been doing squats, so we'll see if that Good helps. work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So Brianna's date got pushed back to February 22nd, 22nd which, which is, is very soon. Her plan so far. It's like two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Oh, so damn. Then, yeah. So then my baseline ultrasound happened. Everything looked good. And so they did put me on the estrogen pills. And so I was taking that and they did another ultrasound Everything still looked good. Blood work looked good. And then they were doing another blood test before I started the progesterone. And that blood test showed that my progesterone levels were really high. and Which, which indicated that you ovulated. Yeah, which indicated that I ovulated on my own, I guess, and not when they needed, were, needed me to. Or they didn't need you to or ovulate not, at all. The estrogen, yeah. I think, was supposed to keep you from ovulating. And in only 2% of women, do they still ovulate while taking the estrogen? Yeah. Wow, way to be an outlier. I know. I know. Right? <laughs> Which is pretty typical for me. It's always got to be different. Yeah, if I would have <laughs> known, I would have been like, I'm always at 2%. Mm-hmm. I got pregnant on the, on the IUD. I... Um, had another IUD travel, all those percentages are like so slim. Yeah, the of wind blows happening. the wrong way and I ovulate. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> make sure you. <laughs> no, but I, but there is a medication that stops it, but they just don't put everyone on it because why risk any other side effects or things if you're. If Likelihood people, is 98% chance that you're not going to ovulate. Right. If most people don't. So that put a big damper on everything because we were all getting super excited. I mean, it was only about a week or so Mm -hmm. before my implantation date. And I just felt so disappointed and sad for the intended parents. I just felt like they've had so many of these moments where it's just like, Nope, you got to wait a little longer. So close they can taste it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they get excited and then have this little, you know, letdown. And so I was just like, why, you know, we've had a lot of signs and synchronicities in this journey. Why is this not happening right now? Um, Which is another cool part of our journey that maybe we should like touch on right now what the synchronicities oh there's been tons of like just little indicators like that will pop up out of the blue and to charles and i and to the intended parents it kind of lets us know that we're on the right path and gives us you know comfort and peace of mind that everything is going to work out the way it's supposed to yeah so i've always had this thing with 
not always actually, since deconstructing my faith and figuring out my new version of spirituality, one of my things is like give in and let the universe like give me signs if I'm on the right path. And one of my things is like show me otters if it's the right path and or just give me that moment where it's like, oh, this is overwhelming. I know it's a sign. So one of the times actually we were on our way to meet the intended parents. I think it was our second time meeting them. Um, they, uh, well, so on our way, we saw the most vivid double rainbow like I've ever seen. And it was the first double rainbow Brianna's ever seen. Hmm. And we thought it was pretty cool and symbolic. And a week before the intended parents saw their own double rainbow. And so we actually have kind of named this journey. Well, our intended parents did the our double rainbow surrogacy journey. For them, it's like the rainbow kind of after the storm. Their, it's that their rainbow babies, babies represent that. That's really cool. And then it's kind a... of from the rainbow community mm-hmm. tie. It just, yeah, it was. And so both of us were like, this is this is meant to be like, we are heading to see them, see this double rainbow. They've seen a double rainbow. It's amazing. And like I said, one of my things is the, is an otter. And one of the times they came over to our house, um, they had just been in Monterey and they brought little toys for all of our kids. And one of the little toys was an otter. And I was like, oh my gosh, this, you guys don't know this, but this is one of my signs like from the universe that like I'm on the right path. Hmm. And they said, no way, because while we were there, an otter literally like came up to us and we filmed it. And they said that this rarely happens like just out if, unless you're, you know, in, like whoever in the, it was that they the were with, like they're the guide or whatever said that this rarely happens. Right. Yeah. Or it was when they were at the aquarium that they said that, seeing them out in the wild is not super common. And so they showed me the video of them recording this little otter that came up to them. And I, it was just one of those moments again for me where I was like, Mm -hmm. this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is our journey. And these are the people that we're supposed to be doing it with. And I kind of had my own little moment um, with that and them So I don't know if we're supposed to share the baby's names or what they're planning on naming them. Maybe don't share the Um, name. But we had been at their house one night. And then when I was walking out to the car, I had this like overwhelming feeling that kind of came out of nowhere and like blindsided me that I would be carrying like so-and-so. I'm not going to say their name. And then a few days later, and I kind of kept it to myself. Or Did I say something to you in the car about it? I think you did tell okay. me that. And then a few days later, the intended parents like said to me, like, we're planning on having you carry so-and-so, and Charles Lee will carry the other one. And so that, to me, was like a click moment, too. Like, what? why else would I have like had that feeling? And then have them like almost like re like confirm like what I had already thought so that was kind of cool for me yeah and then they had a dream well the intended father had a dream that um there was like this crazy alignment of like the sun moon and everything and it like was shining a light directly over their house and 
he said that everyone was like, wow, this is like unbelievable that everything had to align perfectly to make this happen. And he's like, and I had been thinking about you guys and these babies before I fell asleep. Hmm. Which kind of like puts us at ease too, because we keep saying everything's been pushed back. But also you want everything to be perfect. You want the perfect um, situation and all the circumstances to be just right so that you have the most likelihood that it's going to take. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think one thing we didn't mention too is our intended parents only have two embryos. And she's had a hysterectomy. So there's like no other, like if it doesn't take, they don't have another one that they can just try again. Yeah. In a lot of people's surrogacy journeys from what we've heard, usually there's quite a few embryos. That they'll implant. Well, they could either implant multiple or they'll try one. It may not work or take, and then they have others to kind of fall back on. In our case, they literally are putting, like, their figurative eggs in our baskets. Hmm. Which we don't take that lightly. So So we do want to Doing a lot of, like, preparation even on our own, trying to you know, clean up our diets and do like every little thing that we can. We actually just recently started doing acupuncture. Um, that's supposed to help with fertility and specifically implantation. So, mm. yeah. That's super cool. So I guess this is just part one of the surrogacy journey. We'll keep on checking in with you both as like this progresses and those will be other episodes on the podcast just to see how the journey's going because it's hard to know. I mean, you'll experience it, like you said, as you kind of get there. You don't know the road ahead in a lot of ways. But is there anything else that you want me or like the listeners to know about this journey, this story as you're currently at this point? I think right now for us, or at least for me, it was recognizing that there are going to be setbacks. Um, And I think because I had like all those undeniable moments I just didn't think that there would even though we are experiencing those and I I don't know if I completely finished but I had a setback and so mine is delayed um probably until the end of March Mm. um because of that progesterone um increase and so they have to just basically restart everything And it just made me realize, like, this is one of those things that you just have to, like, give into the timing of, like, the universe and the timing of everything and just know that, like, if and when it's supposed to happen, it'll happen in that timing. And I think anyone, I mean, I can't speak for anyone with any sort of infertility issues or that journey, but I know that they've experienced multiple setbacks and that's got to be just really difficult. We got a small taste of that and my heart kind of goes out to everyone that has to experience that. And I think that's why it hurt even more to know that our intended parents had to feel that again. Um, But just letting go and being like, this isn't always up to us. We can't plan everything out perfectly. 
and I'm super, super hopeful that everything will work out great, but that's not up to me and I'll do everything like in my power to make it happen. I know Brianna is going to do everything she can, but it, you know, after that, it's just up to the universe, I guess. So almost to kind of like reiterate what Charles C. said, I when she really was struggling with this last setback. I mean, that was what, like a week ago that we just found out that your date will be pushed back. And you really did have, you both had a hard time with it. But I think because it was pushed back so far, that was like the hardest pill to swallow. And I kept telling her and myself, like, it's not never, it's just not now. And I think that too, like, kind of like brought some hope back into like, you know, the darker situation or like, I don't know, a a hard, like our plan can have a plan, can have a plan, but sometimes it doesn't go that way. And being able to kind of let go of that control has been a process for both of us. I think both of us have kind of control freak mentalities at times and learning just to like go with the process and trusting the process that's been something that we need to work on yeah for sure I think it's really cool that you guys are going to be such a big part of these intended parents lives and like these these babies lives and and the way that you're able to create almost this little community and family through through your the gift of your you know bodies which is amazing your womb your wombs So excited to kind of see where this journey takes you and how you grow and I'm gonna grow. Boy, I'm gonna grow. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) so much Chick Fil A. Me probably more than you. Let's be honest. Yeah, next time we talk about this, I one or both of us may hopefully be pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Send out positive, good vibes and. For those of you who are babies. listening, you can help track personality shifts with them as they oh grow through gosh, pregnancies. Seriously. You've heard the first few episodes, and then this episode, just notice, are they getting crankier? Are they getting a little bit weepier? We may have are to reintroduce they? ourselves to you. Yeah, really, uh, my instinct usually is more crying. So and mine's more The more irritable. I cry on so these we'll episodes. So start keeping tissues on the uh, table. Yeah. yeah, the more you'll know it's working, right? <laughs> Okay, well, I guess that'll wrap us up for today. Until next time. Yeah, and if you guys do have any questions that you want us to answer in future podcasts uh, in on any topic, but, you know, especially the surrogacy, uh, reach out. The Let's Unpack That podcast is an ally and advocate for the LGBTQ plus community and is devoted to giving a voice and creating a safe space for individuals and families of the LGBTQ plus community. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or self-harm, please seek help by calling the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or by calling 911. If you are under the age of 24 and need crisis intervention or suicide prevention, please call the 24-7 
Trevor Project Hotline at 1-866-488-7386. We'd love to hear your questions, stories, and ideas for episode topics. If you'd like to get a hold of the Les Unpack That podcast, please email us at lesunpackthatpodcast at gmail.com. That's les, L-E-Z, unpackthatpodcast at gmail.com. The Les Unpack That podcast is produced by Charles C. Trabert, Brianna Marganti, and Liana Manabog. The Les Unpack That theme song was written and recorded by Matthew Davies. Mixing and editing was done by Matthew Davies.